Welcome to You Can Grad School with Dustin and Keith. We're glad that you can join us again um, for our first or second or third podcast episode. We're excited to be talking today about starting grad school and some things to help you on your way. Um, I obviously haven't started grad school, so the beginning, um, I'm just going to kind of interrogate Dustin on his thoughts and um, his experience when he started grad school, as well as talk about a few things that um, I'm thinking about or very lightly worrying about. And then we'll go through some organizational pieces or things that you could have in your toolbox for starting or starting any project really, but in particular starting graduate school. So anything you want to add to that outline? I don't think so. I've, I've been in grad school for some time and we'll see if I can help with any of the worries that you have. Probably not, but I'm guessing that other people have had these worries too and have thought a lot about this. And I think the reason, one of the reasons why we're doing this is that these like rules or, or things, there is always this like hidden curriculum that people allude to and we don't want that to be the case. So if there are things that lots of people are thinking about or worrying about, we want to try to provide answers for it. And this might be, we might have like field specific answers, but that doesn't mean that they like other fields don't exist because they do. And they, they do, <laughs> they get more money than us psych researchers do usually. Our ultimate goal is to destroy those other fields. Yes, take it, um, take that mathematics we need I don't, oh yeah and mathematics <laughs> both of them we need that so let's keep that around this, yeah 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 um <laughs> but yeah just like trying to figure out what are ways that we can be healthy in grad school and kind of set ourselves up because this is such a unique time where we can learn and develop as a scientist and we shouldn't be spending that time trying to figure out oh, who should I talk to? Oh, who should, what kind of citation manager should I use? Or how do I organize these things? Or worrying about different steps. Like you should be able to just, to jump in and get started with the things that you're interested in. Because that's why you started grad school. And that's, sometimes it's helpful to remind yourself of that. So go. That's a good way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, no, go I was going to say go for it. Give me, give me the questions. Oh. I thought you were going to say go forth, and I was like, very out of character, but go okay. Go forth and um, proceed. I'm going to go forth with my questioning. <laughs> go forth and prosper. It's um, not, it's live long and prosper. Yeah, so I think just to start off is like, as I have like the beginning of graduate school, I don't yeah. know, like off in the horizon, um, I, even though with COVID and everything, I haven't been able to register for classes. Um, so that's a little bit of a blank space. I don't know what I'm going to take yet. But is the idea, like, for the first time, I'm going to be, like, balancing my own, like, research goals and priorities. Um, I'm going to be applying for an NSF, um, and that deadline is in October. Um, and that's been really fun, and I've already started working on that. But I'm going to have to balance that and um, writing and all the other stuff with, like, being a student again and mm -hmm. having to like spend a lot of time um on completely brand new things that are a little that's a little bit terrifying um 
I know I've had to do that in my job over the last two years, but there's a part of it where like, it's not new stuff every day. Yeah. Um, and so I obviously have stats in mind. Um, I, it's been a few years since I've been in school. So I don't know. Um, could you talk a little bit about like, what do you remember from like your first semester of graduate school and, um, just, just tell us about you. I mean, you started grad school when you were like, what, 12? Um, <laughs> just you've been in grad school forever, but you're also very young. Yeah, so. it feels like forever. You're like the Pete Buttigieg of... <laughs> just so young. Yeah, that's me. I think my transition into grad school was a little different than what most people uh, expect in terms of... Like, I was in the lab that I was applying for. So I had a nice level of continuity there, but it's also, it's so different from being an undergrad, from working, you are now expected to be generating the knowledge and like also digesting mass quantities of literature and learning other things. And it's just like, it can feel very overwhelming. So my first semester, of grad school, like my schedule was set. Uh, I didn't get to choose anything. Usually within the first couple years, at least the first year, usually it's pretty set from my understanding. Um, Yeah, it was just trying to situate myself into being a student again. It was really nice being able to transition into like these smaller classes, which I really liked and like being in there with people who are super interested in things that you're interested in and like you're there for a reason um, and you're getting to interact with instructors and professors who are also really passionate, hopefully about the things that they're teaching and talking about. But yeah, I don't know if I remember anything specific about my first, first time in grad school. It was also my daughter was born the weekend before. So like, <laughs> yeah, she was, she was born uh, just a couple days before I started grad school. So the first week and a half, um, like my nights were spent at the hospital with my wife and my kids. So it was like trying to figure out, oh, what are some things that I don't have to read because I can't? How does sleep deprivation bear with? Oh, yeah, it was. That's probably why I don't remember is because I didn't sleep. How did I not know that? That's <laughs> remarkable that you, I mean, I, I like, I'm not like, I'm only half joking when I say this, like the fact that you have that and also like a newborn. Um, yeah. My mom always, my mom said we do IN and she always like talks about the first like month or two with your baby is like baby boot camp where you just sleep when you can, you eat when you can and like survive. But wow. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So my other questions will be with the caveat of like, you may or may not remember this, but yeah, I'll do my best. Um, one of the things I've heard a lot with graduate school and, you know, is something I kind of have in the back of my mind as like a, like small worry, but like, you know, how things go um, is like a lot of times they talk about in graduate school, like you should be less concerned about grades and that, but also there's the expectation that you'll just kind of get A's if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Or like you have a high GPA. 
And like, how was that for you? Um, you've done your PhD at two different institutions. Um, could you talk a little bit about like how that has either changed for you or like how that shifted your expectations or um, your thinking around classes? Yeah, I think usually people who are transitioning into a graduate program are moted, motivated by doing well in school. And like, that is what got you to this next point. Um, and so having a, getting A's or high B's, like that is all that you usually strive for. And so you're putting in lots of work, but there is, like you're saying, it seems like everybody who I've interacted with faculty wise say like grades don't matter and only spend what you have to. And it's very difficult to transition that mindset from I need to do well. I need to read absolutely everything. I need to write everything well and I need to excel in that way. Uh, and that is, it's like, it's unrealistic and un, it can be very unhealthy for you because you will also have a lot of other priorities. And I think it, it took me probably a year and a half before recognizing particular areas that I could not slack off on, but just um, take less time and focus a little bit less, which I guess is slacking off. <laughs> well, I feel like that's like a, yeah, no, I feel like there's this um, attitude with, I was, when I tweeted the other day, like about um, using like site yeah. or being, saying like I could be lazier slash more efficient. I was like, oh, like it's still in my head that like doing things that are the right thing to do for you for now, it's not cutting corners. You're not being lazy. It's like being efficient and like managing your time appropriately yeah. right yeah. And because you think of those things as like like that's what you needed to do right to be a successful graduate student and researcher at the same time so that's helpful um I wonder if they go to pass fail in the future like someday it feels like that is because like you should be motivated to use like the tools right like it's learning how to use your resources yeah. right I mean yeah. correct me if I'm wrong but like how do you see your classes in graduate school and does that differ from like undergrad 100 percent, yeah I think and it, it was in that like after that I'd say about year and a half maybe even two years before recognizing my time in grad school is as a trainee I am in training to become a researcher or to become a clinician or to do whatever your goal is and that means that you're not necessarily a student where like, if you were to go into a workshop at a regular job, you were not getting a grade at the end of it. You were trying to learn skills to then promote like better work in, I don't know how jobs work apparently. <laughs> I've been like a grad student for too long. Uh, but you, you take those skills, you apply it and then you do a better job. And that is what, I think that's the shift that can be helpful in you're not a student anymore. You're a trainee. And a lot of the skills that you're trying to develop come from these classes. And I think, yeah, going to pass fail or even just removing grades altogether could be helpful. And nobody's going to care. Nobody that you're going to apply to a job for is going to say like, show me your grad school transcripts, at least within the psych field. Yeah. That's helpful to know. Um, yeah, I think a lot of times, you know, it's such a um, 
hurdle, like having the right GPA for applying to grad yeah. school. That's another way, like, you know, like you have to, you have to have some lines and like, in order to like make decisions on who gets in or yeah. not, but it does like, you do have to shift those. Like it's my impression has been is like, you have to shift these goalposts. And so right now I'm kind of in the process of doing that. Um, I think it's helpful that I've been out of school for a while. Um, on the other hand, um, my, which leads to my next question is, so you also like worked for a little bit before you started grad school and you know, when you're working, you can kind of set up your hours. There's a stopping point. You don't have homework. How do you balance, um, having that like shift from like working life to like being back in school where you like end your day and then you have like work to do or things to do? Yeah. I think what has, has happened and, I feel like I've gotten better at this, at trying to make that. Here are times when I just, I know I am not going to be able to work uh, in grad school. I think even as like, and I'm sure you, you know, uh, when you're working as a post in like a research coordinator capacity, you're not always sticking to the hours that are like in the lab um, yeah, I know. Surprising. And then you're also doing like your own stuff. You're applying to graduate school. You're trying to be competitive. So you're doing all the other things and it can be, I think trying to apply that then to, I need to do these readings beforehand, uh, or I need to write these, this like reflection on something and just realizing when you can't, do that anymore. I think I've listened to my, like my thought process a little bit better that I know if I'm not focused, like things just aren't going to get done. And so like realizing that took a, took a while, I'd say like just within the last two years, I've really been able to recognize that, but then trying to structure everything else around that so that you can, like you do fewer classes as you progress in grad school, potentially, um, depending, I think it all depends on universities and stuff, but then you can try to shift and balance things a little bit more, but it is, it is a balancing act. And I think another useful piece that I've come to realize is that even if you set it one way, that doesn't mean that it has to be that same way moving forward. So one week or two weeks, you might be like, I'm really good at writing in the morning. And so I'm going to get up early. I'm going to write. I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And then I found myself trying to stick to that even when I couldn't do it anymore. And now I've given myself like the permission really to move that around. This is, you know, sounding familiar to me. Um, I don't feel like this is going to apply to me in graduate school because it's applied to me for my like thing. my like outside of work if I had to like write um or I was working on a paper when I was in Boston I would go to like the Boston Public Library and I would have like a beer which is awesome that they had that what and like I could I know <laughs> shout out to Boston Public it's amazing it's like oh god I like this is half the reason I want to move back to Boston um, just for the drinking in library exactly um good coffee too um yeah. and then I like worked there and I found that like really worked for me and then I tried to do that like tried to find like a same magical space where I could work in this like amazing similar way in Champaign 
and I just like could not find one that worked for me um and so I had to like find different things and um honestly like something I've been looking forward to though I realize it's complicated is there's this uh, especially with my first job out of grad school there's uh or out of undergrad with like a job like you're supposed to be working on someone else's projects Mm -hmm. and like the focus is like the lab that you're working for um which is like great and wonderful because you know especially in the last lab I've worked in it's like a supportive lab that appreciates my work and like that makes it easier but it's also I found it really hard to work on my stuff outside of lab because I felt like I was like going against what I was supposed to be doing yeah um which is trying to spend like my time making the lab work like as efficiently and as well as it could have um and so something I've been really excited and you know maybe this is like me just like assuming it'll be this way so this is I really want your thoughts on this um I'm surprised we've not talked about this during the podcast like during like non-podcast or just general conversations as um you know like I was really excited because this is like five years where like yes I'm working in a lab and there are parts where I'm working collaboratively but it's also like selfishly very it is self-focused where Mm -hmm. you're working on your own career and like there's this focus you have for your own projects and ideas that you get to invest in and I think for me my impression is like that's going to be this great thing that's going to help me you know like work better and more efficiently but I realize that's like probably not entirely the case and like it's a little bit of a double-edged sword so I don't know what are your thoughts on that do you feel like there's any truth to that or yeah, I think, I mean, this is something that I've been thinking a little bit more about is how we can establish this like work-life balance while still being focused, which is what what it sounds like you're bringing up. Like you want to be focused on the things that you're interested in and now you have a space to do that. And I think in in academia, at least my understanding like broadly is that academics are often overworked. And this can be problematic for mental health reasons, for physical health reasons. Like it's just not, it's not good to overwork yourself. And I think the reason why people do this is because, because of that passion and that motivation to say, I love what I'm doing and I'm going to keep doing it even after I don't need to. Mm-hmm. And you Sorry. Like, yeah, I'm just like seeing how it's probably going to apply to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, balance it. like, it's so hard. And you see it like the reason why we become researchers and scientists is to better the field. We want to have an impact more broadly than what, or like, we want to impact the well being of others. I think that's why most people. No. <laughs> no, no, I want to get all that money. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, we don't get paid well. Uh, at least psychologists don't. Okay, no one told me about this. Sorry, I've already said this before. Uh, Spoiler alert: we get paid. But yeah, garbage. there's a way that like passion drives it, but also then that can lead to like you know you pushing yourself or overcommitting. Yeah. Like if, right. if you, ha- it, it's basically you have a workforce who is intrinsically motivated to do the things and will keep doing the things even when they don't get rewarded for those things. Yeah. <laughs> and we have a bad incentive structure anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And so we keep doing that. 
And I think you need to be selfish in a number of ways, which is hard for me. And I'm sure it's going to be hard for you. And it's hard for a lot of people like looking back to ourselves and saying like, these are the boundaries that I'm going to put on myself. And also you're going to want to help other people do their own projects and like get involved there and trying to say like, no, I need to focus on my own stuff. Mm -hmm. That is, yeah, I think it's going to be a challenge. I think also, you know, there's an added complication. Like I know for you, like one of the things you're passionate about, duh, which is like why we, we both are doing this and like other things is like, you're really passionate about like sharing knowledge mm -hmm. in an open kind of way. But again, there's just like not the same incentive as like writing a paper. You could spend the same amount of hours writing a paper that you do like talking about a project that you're working on and sharing and disseminating the knowledge and how you got there. And you, because you don't value like teaching undergrads or graduates in the same way that we value papers as like yeah. peer mentor and things like that it's hard to get adequately rewarded for the things that you are also doing on the side um, because there's like not enough flexibility in some areas of the field. Yeah. And I think within these last few years, I've realized the things that I am motivated to do. And like you said, this is why we're doing this and we want to encourage others to be able to disseminate knowledge and talk about the things that they're working on. Um, but doing that in a way that will impact more people as much as possible. Like you and I could write a paper and submit it. And then that will be a whole other thing that we can talk about is how flawed that whole structure is. But then like how many people are going to read that? And then what are they going to do with that knowledge? They might read it. They might cite it once. And then like, is any policy going to be changed? Is anything going to be updated? Um, and I think as like scientists, we like to think that that is the, the channel that we go through is that we write a paper, somebody else reads it. And then like it gets translated into some sort of policy reform or policy change. Like it helps to shape how we do things moving forward and realistically, that doesn't happen. Yeah. No, I've been thinking a lot about this recently because maybe we're getting a little off course, but I don't know. This is interesting <laughs> yeah. to me. Is like, I know, like, it's, um, you know, I can, you know, writing papers and having them peer reviewed and it's when things work out the way they're supposed to is like a great thing and it's valuable and it's, yeah. own, it can also be a very flawed system. But also, there's such a benefit to having professionals and like, people who have a PhD or people who are experts leading the way in public education. Mm -hmm. um, I see this all the time with my like burgeoning interest and like increasing knowledge about like reproductive psychology and just like my own like sort of directed knowledge about like uh, human reproduction. Like I often see like really freaking dumb senators and Congress people saying things that aren't true about human reproduction. Mm -hmm. And you can pick a topic. This applies to like so many different things. Yeah. But like there are people who are legislating who like need to take a quiz on human reproduction or else they can't, they shouldn't be involved in the discussion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and people ha can have their like opinions and valid uh, takes, but they should have it. Like they need to do it from a place of education. And so yeah. I think the field, like that's something I hope 
to do. And, um, but I also really hope that I'm compensated if that's the direction I go into, um, because I think it's really important and it's valuable and it's just as valuable as doing research and then just, or not just, but like publishing that research and furthering the field. There's also knowing your stuff, educating people about this area. So, yeah. But back to our topic. <laughs> um, I think these are all things like people are, you know, like, luckily I've had the chance to talk to you and all of the grad students about these like problems and these questions. So I feel like they're going to kind of keep coming up while I'm in, while I'm in school, it's not going to be like a one and done. Um, but I also wanted to talk about like, you have these like strengths and you have these things you want to work on. Like, mm-hmm. how did you uh, set up your relationship with your research mentor, your PI and like, what are your suggestions for starting a good relationship and making sure that that's, like, going to be a positive relationship for the entire extent of your 12 to 12 years old to 18 years old to have in graduate school? Yeah. Uh, just so everyone's clear, I didn't start when I was 12. And... <laughs> you're just so young and you're going to be done soon. <laughs> I know. It just made... It, feels like weirdly predatory when it's like a, I'm sorry, right, right. a 12 year old right, right. with a, a, a graduate advisor no. oh oh the other way I was <laughs> <laughs> uh I think it 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 can be really different for every single uh individual who's entering grad school I was lucky enough to have a a positive relationship with the the mentor already going into grad school so i had worked with him for a couple years beforehand i had taken his class as an undergrad and we were able to i think one we were able to connect on a on a research level and just an interest in various topics from like youth developmental psychopathology um and depression focusing on like statistics and quantitative methods and methodology. Uh, and some of that may have been like, I have been involved in this lab for so long that my interests just kind of merge with that because <laughs> that's just what I'm in. Like clay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but I think we also had some like more personal connections uh, in and I think that that is the part that can vary from advisor to advisor. I, I think the advisor that I have, I felt very lucky to have that personal connection and it made me feel more supported. Um, so in like talking about having a kid in grad school, like I, that talk, I recognize one, I'm a man in case you weren't aware um, that like this transition to to having a kid in graduate school is very different for me. And I recognize that. Um, But it is still difficult to have those conversations and talk about these life decisions with your advisor. And I found that to be very easy. Uh, And so I feel like I've, because of that personal connection, um, it has made graduate school a lot easier for me. I don't communication like that's the yeah yeah but I think the the type of communication that you have can vary 
from advisor to advisor. So just recognizing that your communication style um, may need to change based on who you're interacting with and just looking to the other students, more senior students in the lab um, or other students in the program who have interacted with this individual and almost getting like an inside scoop. I think that can be really helpful to understand like, oh, this person is very professional and they are going to be very uh, focused on the, the minute details. So then when you send them a paper, like making sure that you're hitting all of those points. Um, but yeah, I think Kate, you were saying like communication in whatever way that matches the advisor is going to be the, the best. I think that's really helpful too. And I also, I appreciate the point of like bringing up that your mentor or your advisor is going to have different, like there's such a range in what advisors look like and their comfort with like your relationship um I grew up thinking my dad's PhD advisor um we knew him as like Uncle Jack and so he was like <laughs> he was my brother's godfather and like they had this like very close relationship which I know developed like after like part of it like developed later after my dad's PhD but mm-hmm. I was like oh are you this close here like yeah and mentor and um and then there's like totally different relationships where it's much more like you know, business-like, and that's not to say one is better than the other. Mm-hmm. other. There's also, like, different students prefer different levels of, like, their own privacy and, like, involving, but I feel like that's, yep. regardless, it's, like, communication, and um, I'm also lucky because I know my advisor and mentor because I've worked with her for, since undergrad, and then while I was doing these jobs, I still had her as, like, a source of, like, support and advice, um, but I also think it really helped me work out some of the kinks that like might come up in graduate school mm-hmm. and correct me if I'm wrong or if I'm like being naive as like a pre-grad student, but um, part of it, some things is just like little, which is like I would email her about something and I wouldn't hear back for like a few weeks and I'd be like, oh my God, like she's so tired of me. She's done with me. Like I'm asking too much. And then I she'd be like, oh my gosh, I owe you an email or like something like that. And so it's like, oh, it's okay to follow up with someone who, like, you have this relationship with because they probably have a lot on their plate. And, like, you don't – it's okay to communicate and be like, hey, just checking in. Or um, right now I have a setup, like, a hour meeting each week with my mentor before I've even started, like, officially. And that's been really helpful. And it also, like, kind of is clarifying for, like, what our professional relationship is going to look like, how we're going to move forward on projects. And um, I'm someone who like, I really value and I think benefit from checking in each week. It kind of keeps me like productive, but it also like, I think I'm a little bit of a worrier. I'm a little socially anxious. So like, I like knowing where, where I'm at with like my professional relationships and that gives me the chance to be like, okay, we're good. Here are my questions. Like if there's anything that needs to be, works through then it can be talked about so yeah I think that makes a lot of sense and being able to communicate that with your advisor and saying like getting to a point where you can reflect on that with them and say like I am feeling a certain way if you feel comfortable talking to them in this way to say like I would appreciate um like these weekly meetings and it would just help clarify things or get me focused or because they're there to support you too like again getting back to you're in training you need to get the training that you want to get 
and they are like a gatekeeper to that. And they'll be able to put you in connections with others or help support you in writing and organizing things and, and really getting you going on that track. So as if you're able to have that kind of communication, that's great. Um, if you feel like your advisor is maybe lacking in a particular area, depending on the type of uh, department that you're in, seeking other faculty members could be okay as well. Um, but I think going to the graduate students first and seeing, because they've, they've done this, hopefully. <laughs> uh, and so like talking to them, seeing, oh yeah, no, you shouldn't talk to her because uh, her grad student tried to do a meta-analysis and she shot it down and like blocked it from publication. And you're like, I don't want to talk to that person about research. Um, so getting that can be really helpful and priceless. Yeah, and how about, uh, how did you like set up, or do, do you feel like that was an active process with like setting up peer mentors or as well? Or like, how did you kind of, develop that in your first year? Um, I don't care about anybody. So I just hung out by myself and I was like, you know what? You guys are not as cool as I am. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, at, when I was at the first university, what was awesome and is still so helpful is another graduate student started in my lab at the same time. And so we have like throughout our entire time, we have basically done the same thing and have had very similar experiences. And that has been amazing to have. And I think that has really helped me develop as a graduate student. And I'm very grateful for that person. Um, I think going in your first year, trying to be as open with the other students in your cohort is going to be really helpful. Um, and so like I had a newborn, so they knew that I wasn't going to be able to do a whole lot, but they would still invite me and I felt very included and we would have study sessions when we could. And just that was really nice to have that support and being able to like talk to one another about things and about issues that are coming up. And I think that that initial cohort is going to be, a good first way to establish those connections. You're both, you're all going to be going through the same exact stuff at first. And then you can start developing other relationships um, as you become maybe like more specialized or focused in particular areas. With Twitter. Yes, with Twitter. Definitely. Hashtag academic Twitter. So recently, I'm just like a perfect, yeah, perfect segue. I'm just nailing it. I did that on purpose. Um, but like, so to get into some more, um, or I guess less amorphous kind of talks, like, um, let's talk about like tools for starting grad school. So yeah. what do you have? Let's go to a quick break before we do that. This episode of this is brought to you by Zotero. What is Zotero? Zotero is a person? Boom 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 bo
Welcome back to UK Grad School. Now we're going to talk a little bit about things that you can use, tools, and you know our plans for having these tools available to you um, for the coming semester. Uh, so the first thing we want to talk about is like a mental health tool in some way um, or worksheet. So how to prepare for the beginning of graduate school and the inevitable like stress, um, not to like sound scary, but um, just realizing like a big thing I've seen and Dustin can talk about a little bit more is like, it is like a stressful time because it's all new. Um, so yeah, Dustin, I'll hand it over to you. Yeah, I think one of the things that often gets talked about is how stressful graduate school can be. And a lot of things that we'll continue talking about in upcoming episodes, or you can look back at our, our YouTube channel, we're trying to give you some tools to reduce stress overall and reduce strain on yourself because like we've talked about a bunch of times, you're in training and we want you to get the best training that you can. And that's, that's my goal uh, for Kate. And so we want to <laughs> extend it to everybody. Kate just smiled in case yes. nobody, nobody heard it. Uh, so I like mental health is a, is a, very important piece that often seems to get overlooked. Physical health gets talked about a lot, uh, but mental health as a clinical psychologist, upcoming clinical psychologist or whatever I am, uh, it is extremely important and everybody can benefit from it, not just people who are experiencing elevated levels of say symptoms of depression or anxiety that like reach some imaginary threshold where you're like, I need to go get help. There are steps that can be taken to just help support you as a person. Um, and this was something that Kate had brought up that she has used with like with your coaching. Is that right? Yeah. So um, it was originally developed. I'm not sure how many of my kids used it, but I put a lot of thought into it so it can be recycled towards something else. Um, and, you know, it's kind of based off of my own experience in running and like throughout the season, you know, it's different kind of stressor. Um, as you get towards the end of the season, there's a lot of pressure to perform. And, um, you know, it's a very physical sport, um, obviously, because, you know, all sports tend to be physical. Um, Usually. I played golf, so not, not, not I was, all of them. I was going to slam golf, but then I, I didn't want to hate on your. That's all right. <laughs> That's all right. You so, can do it. Just look at John Daly. He's not the peak of physical performance. No idea who that is. <laughs> but like baseball, Babe Ruth, he wasn't like a fit looking man. Um, and that was a very long baseball. time ago. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know any other baseball players. That's not when Heroes. baseball ended. Um, but yeah, so with running, like there's a lot of, um, as I would always feel like this mounting stress towards the end of my season. And, you know, I felt the same way when I was applying to graduate school. There are these like this kind of wave of stress that you have to ride on. And a lot of times when that happens, you can kind of forget where your like mental health resources are or like you're so stressed that you like kind of forget like what works for you. And so it was like, I broke it down to like a, what um, support system, like who is your support system and what do you, what can you go to them for? And then like, what are activities and things that relax you? 
Um, and so it's sort of a reminder as well as like a physical check-in, there's that kind of component too, which is like, um, I don't think this was on the worksheet, but it was something I think when I um, was talking to a really stressed runner or when I myself was really stressed, you know, the first kind of questions are, have you been sleeping like normally? Or, you know, that could be a fraud problem answer. Um, have you been getting enough sleep? Um, and have you been like hydrating and have you been eating normally? So like it is that physical stuff that does play a like huge role in your mental health. Um, that sometimes when you're stressed, you can, you know, get off balance or forget um, to prioritize. And then, um, you know, the next part of that is, so writing down three people when you're not stressed and you're thinking straight, like, who are three people you can talk to things about? And like, what are the areas you feel comfortable, like reaching out to them um, for? So do you have someone you can rely on who makes you feel better and helps you talk through about like academic stuff? Maybe there's a different person for relationship issues and there's like a third person for friendship issues or whatever area you're struggling with. And just like having a sense of those, sometimes, you know, I, I don't know if this is just me, but like sometimes when I'm like really stressed, I feel like alone and I think I'm the only person who can like think about and worry about the things I'm working on. But like having to plan ahead and think about these things gives you the opportunity to then feel like you've already like front loaded that work. So you're like, oh, if this, then I'm going to reach out to X, Y, um, which is the initials of the person, uh, <laughs> Xavier Yondel. Um, oh, and, not, not, he's on mine too. Oh, well, he's going to hear a lot of things this October. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so like, I just think having that ahead of time can be really helpful, especially if you're someone who um, you're prone to like kind of shutting in when you're stressed or having people who you are you reach out to in the beginning of the semester I did this with like my grad school applications um where I told like one of my closest friends I'm like hey like I just like if you don't mind checking in on me every couple of weeks to make sure I'm doing okay I would really appreciate that and I think it takes a little bit of like knowing yourself and also being a little bit like vulnerable and saying that um but if you like say it ahead of time when you're doing okay, I think sometimes that makes it easier. I don't know if that's how you work, but um, if you ask someone to check in with you before you're struggling, it won't feel like you're interrupting or something like that. Yeah, totally. And like a lot of the skills that, that we're bringing up and talking about are used in various forms in like a clinical setting. We are by no means experts in this. I don't study clinical. <laughs> Kate is Kate isn't even in clinical. What are you? In clinical. What? Yeah, she's not even. In, she doesn't even go here. Um, I go here, and but I'm still in training and working towards these things. But in working with kids, these are a lot of things that we touch on, and in talking with parents, having that convers having it as an ongoing conversation, can be very beneficial either for mental health, for like pubertal development and sexual changes that these are pieces that if you're talking about them and you have this conversation already like going, it's so much easier to jump into when you are feeling overwhelmed or stressed. So if you do have this, we're going to put together a worksheet that you can access and we'll, we'll tweet it out. We'll send it in the mail via fax to somebody, maybe 
pigeon carriers. I don't know. That'd be <laughs> kind of cool. Um, that would, that would are there any cool. researchers out there who can make that happen? Give us a ring. Um, or a but tweet. yeah, or a tweet. That, that's better. That's, <laughs> that's good. Um, yeah, and I also think you know realizing what. Um, what also could be triggers for you is really helpful. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's probably a clinical thing. That That's a clinical thing, right? Yeah, okay. Everything's um, clinical. But like for me, you know, like um, I, you know, we talked about this a little bit, um, but Twitter can be a place where like it's really supportive and you can like find a support group or like people who are going through the same thing. It can also be a place where there's a lot of co-rumination that doesn't make you feel better and can just kind of lead to like more like negative spirals. Um, or like, I feel like everything's bad. Let me just log on to Twitter. It might not be for you. Um, and so for me, like one thing I've done is like, I pull myself a little bit away from social media. Um, I have a password that only like is like computer generated that only is known on my laptop. And so I can't, I literally can't access things on my phone. And so that helps me when I'm like out and about. So I'm not like, I'm where I am, wherever I need to be. And also, I think having a list of activities that are good stress a year and maybe having them scheduled is like something I plan on doing in grad school and I know other people do. Um, like this, for me this year, I know I'm going to be swimming and running um, most days and that'll be a nice break uh, from the work day and my own problems and stressors. But what do you, what do, you do Dustin? Um... Make crowns with four-year-olds yes you, just one i don't just go around making crowns with random four-year-olds that's not what i heard <laughs> <laughs> these are yeah i think this was something that we were talking about earlier that like i have a support group in my home with my my wife and daughter they're they're there and that i can talk to them they're involved in every aspect and so they're my wife's very aware of like me working on my doctoral dissertation right now and so being able to give me space yeah doctoral isn't doctoral dissertation like it's got that alliteration yeah it's like the way you say doctoral when you say it that way it just like dr dustin sorry no you're like making a point so i'm gonna down again that's all right um comedy is always something that i i tend to fall back on and watching different stand-up specials or different shows that I really enjoy, uh, those can be very helpful in these times of being very overwhelmed. Uh, like I was saying before, just like listening to yourself and understanding when when you've kind of reached that point and checking in and say like, you know what, I can take 30 minutes, I can take an hour, watch Nate Bargatze's stand-up special called the Tennessee kid go check it out it's awesome and then I'll feel refreshed and I can get back to it like being able to take that break can save you a ton of time in the long run and just like really reset yourself so I think yeah having this worksheet filling it out maybe at the at the beginning of every semester could be helpful or you can have a schedule of when you want to fill this out identifying who those three people are identifying different activities And it could even be that those people, like one of your activities is you schedule a Zoom call every Friday or you attend our happy hour with Kate and Dustin for you can grad school every other Friday (laughs) for social reasons. Yes. Which that's what it's for. That's what we want it to be. But having these, these scheduled activities, this is 
like behavioral activation, it is shown to improve symptoms of depression. So why shouldn't it work for anybody? So true. Yeah, I used to go for a midday walk with a friend, um, yeah. a friend of the pod, Max Holly, um, who <laughs> we would go for a walk midday and like just like the behavioral activation. For me, I know it's like pretty essential. Um, like moving or running every day or like doing something, um, doing it like physical activity. Yeah. Not everyone feels that way, but like, um, or like the degree it changes, but like getting outside was always really helpful for me. Um, so I think that's a good plan. And I, yeah, I mean, we both were in a lab where we had excellent people. And mm -hmm. so I think that was a major source of support for me while I was in Champaign. And so um, I think in the beginning, and I think starting out, it feels a little nerve wracking to um, reach out to people and say like, do you want to hang out? Um, I was yeah. really lucky that a member of our lab like reached out to me in the beginning and then you guys all kind of welcomed me and invited me to stuff. Um, and so I think the other thing that I'm going to try to do, this is why I'm saying it here, so I'll have to, is like reaching out to members of my cohort who um, even if we like won't be able to in like COVID, we'll be able to meet like in person. Maybe like we could do an outdoor social distant walk if we can be in person, but um, trying to like build that community now and like realizing that like someone has to do it and like mm -hmm. no like people probably want you to reach out. And so it feels like scary to me to like reach out to people and be like, hey, do you want to hang out? Like this is this is fun. Um <laughs> makes me really anxious, but I think I always like it's always worth it. So Yeah. Maybe we can have a new segment of Hey Kate, how's it going? <laughs> have you made friends yet? <laughs> <laughs> how many we'll have a, a scoreboard of how many friends you and I have made in this next year. Pretty a competition. How are we defining friends? Very loosely. Okay. <laughs> Please sleep. Sleep is something that is very important. It's often one of the first things that gets thrown out because you're like, I can pull an all-nighter or I can, oh, I can work late and then get up early and uh, you're not going to be doing your best if you're not rested. There was always this like segment of people when I was in college who would brag about how little sleep they got. And I was like, I just think you're a loser. Like I, not to be yeah. like, I mean, sometimes you're legitimately stressed or there are reasons. Yes. So you're not, you're not a loser if you have insomnia, <laughs> but like, I just like the bragging when people would be like, I can function on five hours. And I'm like, I get nine hours every night. Cause like, I just am a loser. Like I would rather go to bed cause I'm a loser. That's the message. <laughs> um, no, because I'd rather like get some sleep than like, yeah walk around dead for forever um and I'm a very sleep sensitive individual so <laughs> my goal will always be to get enough sleep for grad school so. yes I think recognizing that your normal is going to be different from mine and different from the listener but recognizing like what is your normal and so I think was it last or one of the episodes Kate you just gotten a new watch and you really like collecting your own data and so doing that with yourself there are awesome like sleep trackers or mood trackers that you can do and and see where those peaks are and plan around those so yeah that's our like psa as well as like soon to be available like worksheet for before grad school checking in um so dustin do you want to talk about a few of the other things this other piece that is you're starting grad school and this is a whole new environment for you and you're trying to figure out 
what are things that I can do? What are things that work for me? And we were starting to put together different resources that can be helpful for different aspects of a grad student's life as a researcher and just being a grad student. Uh, so this, these are things that we talked about a little bit in some of our earlier episodes on YouTube where we talked about organizing literature and things like that. We are going to start putting together tools that at the beginning will we'll try to be pretty broad in what they are, but they will most likely be pretty specific to psychology and like the humanities. So if there are things outside, we want this to be a working document. We want this to be growing so that what the goal for this is, is students who are coming in can look this up and just download the information that they need. And they will have a lot of the tools that are necessary or resources to help get them started. I think that's one of the biggest things is the startup period where you're doing classes, you're trying to get acquainted with your research advisor, other people in the lab, a lot of the stuff that we've already talked about today. But then there's all this other stuff, like you figuring out how do I organize my, my folders or like what do I use to take notes or what like uh, different stats softwares are there? What can I use? How do I search for literature? How do I organize that? How do I uh, make posters? Or how do I talk about like, what do I do at a poster session? Uh, so I think a lot of those things, stand awkwardly. You could, yeah, stand awkwardly because nobody really cares. Next hope that no one will come by and that someone will come by. <laughs> and I think a lot of these could be specific to labs. I know that some labs or even some universities have templates for these things, but there doesn't seem to be a central repository for a lot of this stuff. And if you find it, let us know and we can add it to ours and make ours better. And, you know, we'll try to have like a diverse organizational systems. Like some people really love, like I'm someone who really enjoys analog organization. And so there's certain note taking styles that I do by hand. Um, but there are sometimes I like doing notes like online or in like Google. Um, and so, you know, with the added flexibility that you need to do what works for you, but, um, mm -hmm it's nice to like know where to start. But yeah, I just, I think having resources where you can also, if you have something that works, you can add it. That's what an OSF is for. You can send it to us to add. Um, yeah, so we'll have those up. And I think next episode, we're gonna talk about um, OSF and like our thoughts on open science and like how you can do that as a graduate student or like as a someone who is starting the research process. Um, Clearly, we're towards the end of the episode. My my energy is just flagging. My caffeine is wearing off because I only got seven hours. And four. No, I got eight hours last night. I have no excuse. That's still, that's still lower than you said eight, eight to nine. So great. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, so we'll have those up. And again, if you have thoughts or things you want to add, you can contact us. Um, How do they contact so, us, Kate? On Twitter or email. Um, so my Twitter is at k8 underscore mcc and that's the letter k the number eight underscore mcc and dustin is at dustin harridan <laughs> it used to be different didn't it it did it used to be he, sleep dad. phd oh. dad and i thought i was so clever doing that 
Uh, I still do. I thought it was cool. <laughs> yeah. But then whenever anybody would like search for me, it wouldn't, I needed to brand myself. So. Hashtag branding. Yes. And then you can get on the, you can grad school Twitter. It is can underscore grad uh, or check us out on the web at uh, you can grad school dot netlify dot com dot app. Just kidding. Now to wrap up with our final continuing segment of future directions. So Dustin, what's your future direction or recommendation for next for everyone? I had originally watched this series when it first came out. Uh, It is called broad church and it is a, a, a really great British show. Um, They tried to remake it here in the States and it did not do well, even though they still had David Tennant, who is a treasure, a worldwide treasure, not just a national treasure. Uh, Like who's a national treasure? Why can't I think? Yes. Nicholas Cage is the American national treasure. Keep an eye out for our Nicholas Cage episode. (laughs) But yeah, David Tennant is amazing. The acting is amazing in Broadchurch. So I recently had, um, my wife and I rewatched it. I rewatched it. My wife hadn't seen it. So we watched the first season. It is a heavy show. So watch one it is not one that you can really binge, but it is so good. And Kate, what do you have for us? All right. So my like number one recommendation for this week, <laughs> there's only one, <laughs> is uh, the show I'm Sorry. It's on Netflix right now. Um, it's by like comedian and writer Andrea Savage. She also has a podcast called, um, what is it? Andrea Savage is a grown up woman. Hashtag buttholes. Um, <laughs> Can we say that on our podcast? Um, Why not? And it starts with her guest being like, this is how I say buttholes. And it's very funny. Um, uh, it's like lighthearted and I really enjoy it. But like, I'm sorry, is like one of my favorite shows. Um, they have two seasons up right now and I think they're working on a third. But it's like, the comedy is like, it's not something you should watch with children, but like, it's weirdly like wholesome. I don't know how to describe it, but um Dustin is going to watch it and yes. maybe do a better job describing it. So um, we'll that's see. my that's that's my dual recommendation. The um, show and the podcast are both pretty funny. It's a little bit like Conan O'Brien-y, mm. uh, but with less like big, big guests. Um, but oh, no, Ray Romano's on it. And that's a good one, too. So, yeah. Oh, okay. So you can balance watching an episode of Broadchurch with like, three or four episodes of I'm sorry. And then listening to a podcast. They're short. Like I feel like it ran out before I was ready. So you're looking for something fun and lighthearted. That's the one. Perfect. All right. Well, we don't have a sign off yet. We're still trying to figure that out. Right. Yeah. We can't, we can't do a visual. (laughs) I wanted to do a visual sign up. It's just, yeah, it's goodbye. Uh, (laughs) Goodbye until next time. We will see you then. Goodbye, grads. Uh, no. That's pretty good. Ho, ho.